0: I'd share three very short testimonies, as it seems very relevant. Um, we, you've heard me share about um, the dog-walking evangelism that we do. <laughs> uh, there's a Jewish couple that we've you know, got quite close to. In fact, at first, when uh, you, you, know, you get into conversation, and as soon as he heard that I was a, a believer, I think he just backed off, and so did his wife, and they sort of gave us a broad berth. But after the 7th of October, it changed everything. And uh, we had lots of conversations and it sort of came about, you know, why. And then I was able to share something and she said, if only everybody could be like you. (laughs) It's a terrible thing to say when, you know, a a race, a group of people feel so hated and isolated. You know, I know so-called, you know, black people say, well, I've had racism here or whatever. And you can understand that, you know, there's something, but for Jewishness, you know, just for being a Jew, you know, to be hated. And it, they can't quite understand that. Anyway, the long and short is that uh, we've um, had some really good conversations. And Kathy took um, Bailey, which is my son's dog, um, for, for a walk this afternoon. And it was a very, it was quite dark, really, wasn't it? And I wasn't quite sure but who should be in the park, the only two <laughs> with these two people there. So God's timing is quite amazing, isn't it, really? We can't plan these things, even if we try. God has an amazing way of doing that. That's number one. Number two, another dear Jewish um, friend of mine who I've known for many years, and I love him dearly, Michael. And he's also just going through the same issues. You know, why are they hating us? What is it that we have done? They can't quite understand it. But he knows that I love him dearly, And I continue to share, and so does Kathy. Um, And I've always said, remember, Mike, the door is always open at our home, just in case. (laughs) And he says, yeah, I know that. So it's lovely to be able to have those sort of connections. And, you know, God gives us the opportunity to earn respect. We can't just go and thrust ourselves on people, can we? Even though we may think we have a good message, so often God gives us these amazing opportunities to earn that. And one more, you know. professionally, I do a lot of design work still. I'm meant to be retired, haha. And um, <laughs> I was able to do some work a couple of weeks ago. It was a lot of work. And um, I didn't charge for this work, and it's an Asian chap. Um, really nice guy, and he had to, ha- uh, it was a rush, panic job, and he had to take this brochure to the States and to present it, and uh, he really gave me hardly any time. Anyway, I did it with seconds to spare. <laughs> I finished it at night, and he was flying out in the morning. And he went to American, it was a real success apparently. And um, so he rang up, I think it was on Friday, just to say how it all went. And apparently his wife said to him, you've got to call the Kumars over for a meal. She said, we can't have this. And uh, I've already shared faith with him, not deep, but it's another opportunity because they have invited us to their home. And um, they are a, a very sweet family. And has actually been, you taught the son, didn't you, briefly, I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's wonderful. Take these opportunities. You know, all the preaching that we do, it, it's irrelevant if we aren't able to take what God gives us and to, you know, winsomely, lovingly, gently open the scriptures. And that's why we do this, so that we, we can be encouraged. We can be trained. We can get the resources and be confident. And move out in, you know, in the Lord's strength. Let's just pray. Father, we want to thank you for giving us so many wonderful opportunities to share. And your son came just at the right time and brought the good news. Not only did he bring good news, Lord, he showed us what that good news, it was his death. That is the good news. We, we come to revel over a man who died. Because through his death, we have eternal life. What can we say, Lord? What can we give you? What can we bring to your table? Nothing but our heart. Lord, would you look at our heart this evening and would you graciously minister to all of us. And where we need healing, where we need deliverance, where we need a touch from you, unforgiveness, all these things, we bring them and lay them humbly at your altar. And only you can do the finished work, Lord. And we thank you for your lovely, gentle work by your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit. Touch us, we pray, and touch your word in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 I just thought to share a thought, and then I changed my mind. It's the second time that's happened. It's all a bit risky, isn't it? (laughs) But I thought as we're heading up to Christmas and we're into December, I thought it would be good to just touch something about... Uh, you know the story but not about the birth i'd like to look at the genealogy of jesus in matthew but particularly about the women actually five women who changed history about five women who changed history you know matthew's gospel begins with this amazing genealogy doesn't it and it traces jesus's lineage right back to abraham and king david we've got 14 generations from abraham to David. 14 generations from David to the captivity. And then from the captivity to the birth of Jesus, you've got another 14 generations. Or the exile, as some people call it. So one would think that the long list of unpronounceable names could hardly make for an interesting and arresting introduction to the genealogy of the Lord of Glory. However, this is not the story of any ordinary man but it's an extraordinary account of the only supernatural being to enter our world that's God's only son descending from heaven to earth breaking into time and history in fact his story defines history I'm sure you heard that before his story separates Time, doesn't it? It separates history into B.C. and A.D. Most people, you know, recognize that. In fact, they've stopped calling it B.C. and A.D., don't they? They say something else, yes, to to be politically correct. You know, but for centuries, it was before Christ and after dead, after he died. And Jesus' life, his mission, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension is not just another account Of a human life walking as a mortal man under the sun, to quote Ecclesiastes, subject to corruption and vanity. But it's about the very moment God steps into time to redeem and rescue mankind. And it was pre-written in the prophetic pages of the Torah and the Tanakh. I don't know how people can't, can't see, how they miss it. But they only want to see what they want to see, don't they? Really, especially many, many churches that we visit. <laughs> when you mention those things, they're not, you know, it's all, it's all. Oh, let's look at the New Testament. I was told by one lady, I don't really like the Old Testament because it's full of blood. She said, I like the New New Testament. That's how she put it. I said, Well, what about the Gospels? That's full of blood. She said, No, no, it isn't. I said, Have you missed something really important? Can you see how, sorry, how narrow-minded, how tunnel vision people are? They don't like the blood because of all the sacrifices and whatever. I said, but are you aware why that happened, pointing to the one and only sacrifice that was going to come? I said, God hates it. He doesn't want to kill anything. He's the giver of life, not the taker of it. I said, but unfortunately, you know, these things happen because, you know, blood has to be given. Without the shedding of blood there is no old-fashioned word remission for sin absolutely and this was pre-written in the the torah and the Tanakh, being in god's heart before the foundation of the world what does it say in john 1 1 in the beginning what was there was the word in the beginning was the word that word was with god and that word dwelt with god I always have great fun with the Jehovah's Witnesses because yeah. they say in the beginning was the Word and the Word was a God. Oh, yes. <laughs> I said, so how many gods do you have then? Because that's clearly true, is isn't there? The beginning was the Word and the Word was a God and he was with God. I said, how many, how many gods do you have? So they get a bit confused with that one. But the, if you look at the Greek, it's very clear. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was was not a god (laughs) amazing and it says in Ephesians 1:4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world you were not an afterthought saints I know many people feel undervalued they think well what's the purpose and some people have committed suicide I know they have I have quite a bit of that in my own family but how sad when all hope is lost and they think nothing of themselves. God considered us, considers us to be unique in the way he created us. We were thought of before the foundation of the, the earth. This is not an accident, nor is this genealogy a chance happening. But God knew all about it. So Matthew's account presents Christ from the perspective of his function as the king of the Jews. Tracing his lineage back to David and to his forefather Abraham, who is the father of, of the Jews. Now, genealogies are of the utmost importance, aren't they, when it comes to establishing royalty and royal lines and hereditary. And uh, the hereditary institutions insist on you know, having all, everything in perfect place. And uh, you know that when our current king, whatever you think of him, uh, King Charles, I'm going to call him Prince, <laughs> he's still a princely, my man. And King Charles came to the. You know, he has quite an immaculate lineage, hasn't he? Going right back in time, he, they can trace it right back, and uh, it's quite amazing. Unless, of course, the uh, um, you know you got um, queens in there, because all the lineage is generally patrilineal. Patrilineal. that's to get that word out. Not matrilineal. It's patrilineal. And, and um, unless, of course, you've got a Queen Victoria, who did her job really well. And she had lots of uh, children, and out of that came other kings as well. But certainly, most importantly, in, in Jewish lines, and, and, and for Jesus' lineage, that it was a patrilineal um, a, a background. And the Messiah had to come from a, a male bloodline going right back to Abraham. And we need to be able to trace that right back for it to be authentic. And so all the men in the royal line had to be descended from Abraham through Isaac, through King David. And that really qualified our Lord Jesus as the King of the Jews. How ironical. That's what they put on his cross right at the end, didn't they? In a mockery. But actually, God intended it to be so wide. What did Pilate say? What I have written, I have written. It was intended, it was not an accident. Nothing's an accident it's wonderful now in the light of the historical tradition and the way of recording royal birth we don't expect to see the names of five women popping up and openly recorded in the way that it is it's it's just completely out of context it's out of the the uh, the traditional way of uh, doing things it is in context actually but it's out of the traditional uh, way of doing things you've got tamar Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. I'll say those names again. And they're in the order that they appear. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. And these were not just ordinary pious Jewish women, or women, how we like to call it, and the great-great-great-grandmothers you know, of Jesus. But some of them had a public, notorious, immoral, unconventional past, or they were from a pagan or Gentile background, which were socially unacceptable. And so to put it mildly, their pregnancies, their, the whole process was a scandal. It was seen as a scandal. So why would the apostle, who wants to present Jesus as the king of the Jews, break convention? In order to include such women in the lineage of the King of the Jews. Why would you do that? Well, the questions we need to ask are twofold. Firstly, why women? Because it's clearly a patrilineal uh, sort of heritage. Why women? And why these particular women of a questionable past, and not Jewish matriarchs like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, there are lots of other, you know, good kosher. Women who could do the job. Why these? Well, because the Messiah would come from the promised seed of a woman, Eve. Genesis 3.15 sets the pace for us. It says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." He shall bruise your head. Talking about Satan bruising the head. Um, Sorry, Jesus bruising the head of uh, Satan. And you shall bruise his heel. What happened at the crucifixion? You notice that reference to seed. We heard heard it in Heather's poem, didn't we? She spoke about the seed. She began by the seed. And that's a really important word. It doesn't say your child there although it does refer to child in other instances. But that word seed, why? Because it's got to be traced right back. So it's a really important word when the Bible uses seed. It's really important. Mary, the last name in our list, had to be recorded in Scripture as the the blessed vessel, The, the one that carried the promised seed. What does the Bible say? That holy thing or that holy child, that holy seed who in time would crush Satan's head. She is the only true, pious Jewish girl, I would say, on our list. However, even with Mary, the circumstances of her pregnancy beggars description, doesn't it? (laughs) Not just being supernatural in the spiritual sense, but seen as scandalous by the Jewish society in her day. It's nothing nowadays, anyone can do anything. In fact, there's no such thing as marriage anymore, hardly. Cathy <laughs> and I just celebrated on the 29th of November, our 43rd year being together. And uh, it was a lovely time, and I got her to sign the piece of paper for another 43 years. <laughs> she willingly did it, I'm told. <laughs> I am truly a blessed man. <laughs> but besides, there was a curse upon the male line through solomon why because jehoiakim the, the king of judah burned the scroll of the lord we're told as a brazen act of defiance and rejection of the god of israel he was a terrible king was jehoiakim i won't go into the story because that's really not the message here but it says this in jeremiah 36:30. 30, for those of you taking notes i'll give you all the scriptures But I won't necessarily read them so that you can write them down. This is what it says. He, that's Jehoiakim, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out. That's because there was a curse upon him. Remember I spoke about curses and blessings a little while ago, didn't I? There was a curse upon this man. Since the curse was upon Joseph's side, on Joseph's seed, Jesus was reckoned to be the son of Mary, Joseph's wife. Can you see how it worked out? He was called the son of Mary because it came through Luke's account. And Mary's genealogy through David's son Nathan, as I say, if you look at Luke 3, 21 to 27, you see that story. That tracks or traces his genealogy right back to, to Adam through, through Mary. And that fulfills the promise that God gave to Eve. God gave Eve that promise, didn't he? And he's going to keep it. And then, what about the other four women? We've spoken about Mary. What about the other four? Well, more than likely, they were Gentiles. One was Ruth, and we know that she was a Moabite woman, a widow. She was the, was the wife of Malon, who was one of Elimelech's sons, but he died, so she became a widow. And you find that in Ruth, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. And the rest were most likely Canaanite women as well. Rahab, we know, was a Canaanite woman of loose sexual morality from Jericho. She was a harlot, wasn't she? She was a loose woman. Tamar, another one, more than likely was also a Canaanite woman. um, Since Judah went into Canaan to get a bride, and Tamar uh, was sent to her father's house by Judah. And since there's no mention at all uh, of her venturing outside of her territory we can logically assume that she's also of Gentile origin. But interestingly, Bathsheba is not mentioned by her name in the genealogy, but she's referred to as Solomon's mother and Uriah's wife. She's not called Bathsheba. She's referred to as Solomon's mother and Uriah's wife. See, Uriah was a Hittite, wasn't he? We know that because that's what it says, Uriah the Hittite. And maybe Matthew, maybe the apostle, wanted to identify Bathsheba by her husband's nationality. To let us know that she is a Gentile. She is of Hittite origin. So how perfect is God's plan then in your mind? (laughs) How perfect is it? These women appear to be Gentiles, but not just ordinary Gentiles. They're also associated with some rather dubious and uh, unconventional sexual conduct, as I said. Except... For Ruth and of course Mary as well but Mary's one was quite a strange one so nothing simple here isn't isn't don't we make life complicated don't we just all of us and we've all got a history here somewhere I'm not gonna ask don't worry (laughs) but we do have a history because we complicate everything but praise be to God how he changes and i don't know how god does it, but he he knew it from the foundation of the earth remember how i began and that is the most important thing to remember what about these women then so they they have a common characteristic that they all share and what points them in the direction of god's overall purpose for israel and the world, they all have a common characteristic. So I'm going to just unpack that. Firstly, they're all atta- they all attach themselves to the royal line of promise through unconventional methods. In the case of Ruth, she married an Israelite. We know that. She married Boaz. Or through questionable sexual acts. In the case of Tamar, who was, she was raped by her half-brother Amnon. And she also tricked Judah. To be. No, sorry. I'm not. Oh, sorry, I thought it was. Oh, it was another table. I'm sorry, okay. It's good that my wife's on the, on the case here. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Yes. Um, and, and, and also, she was intimate with Judah, but she tricked him. The three things that she took from him you know, his staff, his seal, and the cord. And he pretended that he didn't know anything about this. And then, when she confronted him, she pulled out. These items then she said, "Do they belong to you?" And he said, "Oh dear. oh, oh, there's trouble at mill. They belong to me." He got well and truly cornered. But she knew how to do it. She knew how to do it, because she was determined. So secondly, they all displayed courage, determination and resilience by taking risks. They took risks, acting out of the fear of the God of Israel. You know, we can sit. In one place, and be quite content. But sometimes God expects us to take a risk. I know that's not a Christian word, but it means stepping out in faith, doesn't it? Who else took a risk? And you remember when the sea was really rough, and Jesus was walking on the water, and it was really bad. Peter. It was a risk, wasn't he? He didn't know what was going to happen. But where was his eye fixed? On Jesus. That's why the, it's no longer a risk, because he moves into from the risk to the faith. From the risk to the reality. That's what we all aspire to do, to move out of the comfort zone into that risky area. Maybe to talk to someone. Our families. I can I do go to some places, I say to people, um, has anyone spoken to their family here? Not a hand goes up. (laughs) Because they're sometimes the hardest people to reach your own family, because they've already rejected you. They consider you to be a nutter. A Jesus freak. You know, somebody who's off the edge. And they don't give you the time of day. But you know, God's love, you cannot quench it. And that's my own personal testimony. It took 22 years for my mum and dad and sister to come through. Now I can't stop them. They are absolutely out there for the Lord. But it take, you have to take the risk. And that's what God wants us to do. And these women all took the risk. Acting out of fear of the God. Israel, and in the case of Rahab, in, in Joshua 2:11, this is what she said. This is what Rahab said: "For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above. So He's God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She understood. It wasn't just a spiritual thing there; He was also here. And that's the thing that we need to come to terms. We know that God is holy, is up there. But what about here, in our own lives?" In the, life, in the life of our fellowship, in the life when we go out. I'm so thrilled to hear that testimony that uh, Kewan shared of, of just the giving of, of the church to something that's really important. We didn't go to preach the gospel to them. We gave them something. That's opened up a channel of communication. <coughs> uh, Janie prayed about the Hanukkah uh, gathering. Is that for the whole church, Janie? No, just for various individuals. Just for various individuals yes indeed but whoever goes we need to be behind that next Monday praying for you that whoever's there will have those wonderful openings to take to take the risk in God's strength that'll be good wouldn't it for the Lord your God he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath or of course they exercise faith in the God of Israel in the case of Ruth in Ruth one sixteen, what does she say? Those famous words in Ruth one sixteen for wherever you go, I will go, and whatever you wherever you lodge, I will lodge your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. what a wonderful thing to say. What a wonderful thing to say. She also entered into a leveret marriage. you know what that is when you know you The person who dies, uh, the the next member of the family, usually a brother, but it could be someone else in the family, uh, marry to keep the name going. And uh, it has to be approved by the authorities, of course. And lots of shoes are involved. They take them off and do all kinds of strange things. I won't go into it now, but that's called a leveret marriage. That's exactly what happened. She married Boaz in a leveret marriage. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer of Naomi. there we are (laughs) she was the kinsman redeemer of naomi or in the case of tamar whether consciously or unconsciously serving the purposes of god by preserving the messianic line proving it to be more or proving to be more righteous than judah because judah should have really told her but she as a gentile heathen woman showed that she was actually proving to be more righteous in preserving the messianic line and and we know that that messianic seed came forth through her and thus leading judah to repentance and reconciliation with the plans and purposes of god that's our prayer saints that israel will come to repentance through many of us who are gentiles that they will be provoked to jealousy something will happen and it does happen and it is happening so don't underestimate the little that you're doing, or the lot, whatever you can. Um, God will give you opportunities if you love his people. Only if you love his people. He will give you opportunity to do that. Thirdly, they all recognized Israel's special place in God's purpose. Not willing to cling to their own religious or cultural identities. And they moved in faith out Of what was familiar into the familial. Did you get that? They moved out of what was familiar into the familial. They recognize belonging to the family of Israel, the God of Israel, and the people of God. And that is also something that we need to cultivate. We are very good with the familiar, all of us, but the familial. Locking yourself into those unusual things doesn't always come easy. Fourthly, it's all about timing. It's all about timing. Being a musician, I understand the thing about timing, but this is a different kind of timing. It's all about timing. All these women came to the fore in God's plan during the spring season. During the spring season. And in the spring season, which is linked to the first coming of Messiah, there are four feasts that were fulfilled. And they're all linked to that. What are the four feasts? Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. Let me repeat that Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. All, of course, also associated with the grafting of the Gentiles into the church together. It's a wonderful story. Tamar was sitting by the roadside. She was waiting for Judah. She was going to entrap him, by the way. So she took off her widow's garment, put back her gear, and sitting there. And she sat there at the time of shearing. It was the time of shearing, so that clearly would have been a seasonal thing. It was a spring thing. Rahab put out stalks of flax just on her roof just before you know, she put out the, uh, the the cord and saw the people. So that really happened at springtime, because you harvested the the flax ready. And, that, and you find that in Joshua 5:10. And David got involved with Bathsheba. This is the, I like this one, but I like it for a different reason. When did he get involved with Bathsheba? At springtime, at the time that men go to war. What was he doing on the top of the roof when he should have been fighting with his army? What did they say about idle hands? Gets you into trouble, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly did. Got him into heaps of trouble. He went after another man's wife. He found her. At, I mean, that's a thing. His natural reactions kicked in. He was the king, God's anointed. He got involved with this woman and he forced her, really. He, he, he kind of, because he was a king, he could do anything. He commanded her to be brought to him. Because it was the king. You find that in 2 Samuel 11, 1, if you're taking notes. And then Ruth. She sought the covering of Boaz at the Feast of Pentecost. We know that because she came and she was gleaning in the... In, it was the barley, wasn't it, that they, they left and she was gleaning. So that was clearly, you know, the, 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 the springtime harvest there. Ruth two 17. We're going to touch on that a bit more. Fifthly, they acted out of faith in the God of Israel. They acted out of faith in the God of Israel. They were acting as the children of Abraham. None of them knew any of that, by the way. But they came into that blessing as soon as they recognized the God of Israel. And by faith, Romans 4.11 says this, Abraham is the father of all those who believe. Including us. (laughs) We're grafted in. We have a common ancestry, not by default, but through the blood of Yeshua. And sixthly, men in the line of Judah, in God's permissive will, I'm going to talk about three different wills now, keep your ears open, men in the line of Judah in God's permissive will, displayed unbelief or faced practical difficulties. And and that's when these Gentile women, in God's providential will emerge to help them, fulfilling God's perfect will. So, when I said earlier on about all the problems and the mess that we get into, can you see how all these wills begin to converge into something perfect? Only God can do that. Only God can take a mess in time. Only God can take your mess, providing you're willing to be repentant and give your heart and be humble before him. He can turn it around, whatever seems impossible in your mind. He can turn it around into something perfect, because the perfect thing comes out. And that, as declared in Genesis 3.15, Genesis 12.3, and Genesis 22.18. If you read all that, you pick up on, on, on the perfect will of God there. So, to illustrate the outworking of the blessing that God intended for both Jew and Gentile in Messiah... And let me close with this, and I'll sort of wrap up on, on this last bit here. Uh, let me close with this perfect example of Naomi and Ruth. I know we haven't mentioned Naomi. She's not in the genealogy, but she does feature in with Ruth. Ruth clings to the God of Israel through Naomi. And when both women are widowed and in desperate need of a redeemer, they, God, it seems God answers their prayer. They've, 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 where else could Naomi go? She goes back home. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons, And her daughter, in, both the daughter-in-laws were heathen women. But you know the story, Ruth decides to go back with her because she says, your God is my God. And your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. What a wonderful story that is. But without Naomi, Ruth would have no access to the covenantal blessings promised. She had no access. Without Naomi, Ruth would be lost. And this was promised, of course, uh, to Naomi's royal line. And in obedience to Naomi's instruction, she seeks the covering of the kanaf. What's the kanaf? Anyone know what the kanaf is? (laughs) That's the covering, the tassels. When you hold on, to the edge the corner the covering the kanaf she took refuge in the kanaf of Boaz's garment we know that um, I'm going to read those to to you that's a symbol let me just read it to you it's a lovely lovely story it's in Ruth um, chapter 2 verse 12 and also Ruth 3 verse 9 if you've got your Bibles if not don't worry I'm going to read it to you yeah in fact I'm going to read a few more verses because it puts it into perspective Ruth Chapter 2, I'm reading for verse 10. So she fell on her face, that's Ruth, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Under whose wings, okay? And then if you move to chapter 3, I'm reading for verse 7. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly. I love that word. She came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. See that word, under your wing? Firstly, it was the wing of God, because that's what Boaz promised. And she saw that the wing, the kanaf of God, the protection, all these wonderful things came through a person. God chooses people to bless, doesn't he? Sometimes it could happen in a supernatural way to just appear. But how many of us have seen things just appear before you? You know, sometimes you're praying about a really difficult financial situation. Kathy and I have experienced that so many times. The day when we went to buy a wedding dress, I had no money. We got married with 67 pounds. And she saw this wonderful dress in Barker's in Kensington. It was about 100 pounds, I think. But I couldn't tell her that I didn't have the cash. And for the first time in my life, I was going to go into debt with an access card. I've never done that before, because the church that I came from taught that we shouldn't be in debt. So for the first time, I thought, oh, Lord, what?" Kind of, I couldn't tell her because she, she's going to marry a poor thought, Well, that's not good, is it? <laughs> it's bad that I'm, you know, chromatically challenged as well. So I came to pick her up that Saturday. And uh, as I was waiting in the home of uh, the the lady who brought me to the Lord. Kathy was staying with her. And I came all the way from Ealing to where she was. And then the postman dropped a letter through the door. So I just picked it up and gave it to Lorna Hodges, who, you know, because I thought, it's a letter for her. She said, oh, it's for you. I said, really? She said, yeah, look, it's got your name on it. And I thought, wow. (laughs) So somebody dropped a letter there. And in there, there was 100 pounds cash. And the dress was 100 pounds. So we went to Kensington, and now who would know that? I do have many other stories like that, by the way. (laughs) God knows your need. He knows if you're under his covering, he has a way of providing for you. Don't ask me how he does it, but he does. He really does. Let me just move that off there. She came under that wonderful covering, and she understood that Boaz, not only was he the symbol, of the authority of God's word, isn't it good? She didn't say, oh, let's get cozy together. She came and slept under his feet, you know, at the bottom there. But, but there was nothing like that at all because he was much older than her because later on he calls her a daughter, you know, and he says that, how is it possible that an, uh, you come to an old man like me, you know, I think I paraphrased it. But, you know, she, he was much older than her But he was the covering that God gave her. Can you see? And he became the Goel. The Goel. Which means the kinsman, redeemer. What a wonderful story. And God has brought us all under that covering. Every one of us. And when we recognize our position in God in Israel. It's an amazing covering that you have. Because you're right at the very heart of the will of God. Because his heart beats for Israel. For lost Israel. His heart beats for them. And it's through the Gentiles that he's reaching them. You can see the connection here, can't you? Why did he use these Gentile women? Well, because that's the way he works. He's got an amazing heart of love for people. And it is only when Ruth bears a child, in other words, when she reaches her fullness, when she reaches her fullness, that Naomi's land and inheritance is totally restored to her. That's also important, isn't it? When the Gentile reaches their fullness. And this foreshadows what it says in Romans eleven twenty-five to 26. It says, when the fullness of the Gentiles come, in other words, the, the, the rapture of the church, we all come to that place and we're taken, the fullness, then all Israel will be saved. Can you see it, saints? Yeah? Can you see the sense of it all? When, that's why, this is not idle chat or, you know, us trying to theologize some funny doctrine. This is actually what's going to happen. When the fullness of the Gentiles, which is mostly us here, come in, then all Israel will be saved. Can you see the vital role that you have to play in this? It's a vital role, and God is looking to you to fulfill. That's all we are to talk and share to the Jew. First, That's never changed, by the way. In Romans 9, 4-5, it says about Israel, To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. Who is, overall, the eternally blessed God. And Paul puts an amen at the end of that. He doesn't do that with every single phrase that he makes. But on that one, he does. Amen. Amen, he says at the end. Salvation is of the Jews. John 4.22. Can you see? That's why God will use Gentiles. And weave them into the plan. Not just because he's trying to save Jews. He's there to save the whole world. (laughs) We're all part of this amazing story of love and salvation. But God has a covenant. He has a plan. he's, He's got an order in the way that he does things. And we feature hugely in that. Israel is not an afterthought for us to get excited about. Yes, we can wave a flag and wear a badge and be associated. Of course we can. But if that's as far as it goes... It's not much, is it? We need to connect with the very heartbeat of God for Israel. And that's why we've got what we've got. When they said, peace, peace, sudden destruction. That's what happens. And we are to be mindful of that. We are to be aware of that. So without Ruth's fullness, we know that Naomi, if you like, Israel, has no future restoration in the coming promised kingdom. Let's just... Let our heart beat on that and our minds ponder that and uh, consider uh, in the days to come how we can all play our part in this. Let's just pray. Lord, I just thank you that you have a very specific task and ministry and calling upon every person in this room. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who hasn't quite come into that place of recognition or of understanding, Lord, would you be very gracious and uh, Come very close to them, Lord, and draw them with your cords of love. And if anyone is not, uh, who doesn't know Jesus in this room t- today, Lord, I pray they will know the love of God, the one who came and died on a cross and shed his precious blood, that not just the Jew, but all the Gentiles, the whole world, those whom he loves, will come to full salvation and know your plans and purposes. Help us, Lord, as we go forward into a new year. And Lord, that you will give us a, a clarity of thinking, spiritual sharpness, and a decisive witness for our life going forward, we pray in Jesus' name.